Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Welcome back. This is part two of all things training versus gear with Van Seelen. All right, so we've kind of made it a point that hopefully folks are picking up on. You should spend your time and money in training first and then gear. But let's be fair. And, you know, the industry kind of promotes the gear, right? That's how they make business, you know, how they make money, how they make their business. Um, what, how, how should I go about buying gear? Like what's, what's the right angle to take with that? Well, when you're, when you're looking at gear and I look, look at this back when I was first, you know, a young recon, you know, new, new to a team. And I talked about the dinosaurs before that you had the Vietnam era H harnesses and rucksacks and all this other stuff. And, you know, it's, what was, what was my mission? What was, what did I need equipment for? And it was very specific usage. If we were doing a deep reconnaissance patrol, we're carrying 80 pounds of equipment and I got to be able to carry that and get to the objective and be able to physically be able to do something, not just fall over, you know, like a, you know, a dead cockroach lay on my back and never get up because the equipment just broke me in half. Right. So when I look at firearms and equipment, you know, when you separate handguns and carbines and shotguns and all those things that we're going to use for personal home defense, um, we all have a budget. I mean, some of us are a little bit more liberal, with our budget than others, you know, some are have significant others at home. So you're stuffing money into a sock drawer, you know, to kind of accumulate enough money to, to buy the, the gadgets or the guns or whatever that you want. Um, so training, absolutely training and practice. If I don't, obviously don't know what the heck you're doing, you've got to get training. You've got to get formalized training by somebody that knows what they're doing. It, they may not be the perfect instructor. You don't need to spend $350, you know, but once you know, have a baseline, you know, I know how to shoot. I know we use a handgun as an example. So I know that when I went and bought a handgun, I bought a baseline handgun, you know, I'm just going to, you know, we'll go back to the Glock thing again, you know, cause sure. yeah, they don't understand Glock when they hear Glock, they know what we're talking about. So it's just talk a Glock and, you know, you, I, the Glock I was buying was for personal protection. I was going to carry it. I was going to keep it in my car. I was going to keep it in my house. going to be my bedside gun. It would do everything. Well, you know, if I've got a budget and I want to focus money on things, I know I need to practice. So I know I need to get to the range. The more skill level I have, meaning the more knowledge I have in this firearm, I don't have to practice three, four times a week. You know, I might be able to do sustainment practice, but what am I using it for? What's more important? You know, $150 for night sights, a flashlight. It really depends. It depends on your philosophies. You know, do I need a hundred dollar or $150 night sights? Uh, there's plenty of companies out there that make $70, $80 set of night sights. There's night sights that glow in the dark. Um, there's plenty of companies that make, handheld flashlights for $15, $20 that you can get at the gas station. I wouldn't buy one because it's a gas station flashlight and it's probably <laughs> the drive home alone, hard to use and practice. Um, but let's just generically say weapons mounted light. So sure. there's companies out there you can get on Amazon, 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks for a flashlight to screw on the bottom of your, your handgun. 
You know, there's also companies that make the $20, 30 $40, $50 lasers that screw on the body of your handgun. Um, but you got to prioritize. You don't want all these gadgets on your gun in the begin to begin with if you're not going to practice with them. So yeah. if I put night sights on my gun, every time I shoot my gun, I practice with them because I'm seeing them. Yeah. But am I practicing with night sights or not? Because when I go to the range, is the shooting stall lights on? Is the entire range lit? Yeah, it is. So I'm not practicing with my night sights. I'm just practicing with my sights. Same thing with a flashlight. You know, do I go to the range? Do I learn to turn my flashlight on and off? Uh, do I learn how to use a handheld flashlight in my support hand when shooting with my primary uh, my primary hand? You still have to pick one or both and then still practice with both or get training in proper application. There's no, my philosophies on night sights are, I would, would I rather see my sights? And this is where I get in arguments with, would I rather see my sights or I'd rather illuminate the target and then know what I'm shooting at. I can, what if scenarios, home invasion scenarios, gas station, you know, walking in and out of a convenience store, walking in and out of a club in Atlanta, not that I go clubbing, um, <laughs> where I not see so my, knows. yeah, right. you know, where I see myself applying the use of, use of my handgun, you know, if I'm in a movie theater, you know, and God forbid something ever happens there, what is the app? of, you know, can I see what I'm shooting at in a movie theater with night sights? Night sights don't illuminate a target. Night sights illuminate your sights. If I, in my opinion, if I can't see the target, it doesn't matter if I can see my sights on my gun. I don't pull the trigger. Yeah. And the reason I wouldn't pull the trigger professionally, and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but you're responsible for every round that comes out of that muzzle. Absolutely. If, and if you're not seeing a target clearly, then you're not engaging a target accurately. Yeah. If you have a flashlight or weapons-mounted light, I can see my sights. I, I it's it's contrasting sights. It's the the target is contrasting to my sights. It may not be the perfect sight picture. It may not be as um, pronounced as I want it to be. But my gun is pointed at the target that I've identified. You know, somebody kicks in the door in my in, in my house, and my daughter's running around. She's going crazy. She doesn't know what's going on. I just don't blindly shoot at shadows if my entire house is blacked out. I want to see what I'm going to engage. That's why when I prioritize one over the other, if you have to make a choice, then I I would lean more towards a light, a flashlight of some sort, weapon mounted light, handheld light. That's an argument for technique. That's an argument for a method in which you can use both. I can't point a flashlight in a direction where my gun isn't if it's attached to my gun. Yeah. But I can also use the light as a aiming tool to aim my firearm if it is attached. Again, this comes down to training and practice is to learning a technique and then mastering that particular technique based off of the equipment that I have. If I don't have a flashlight, I don't have to worry about it. If I have night sights, now the issue is they're in a dark room. I'm in a dark room. I can't see them. They can't see me. Well, that's still fine because they can't hurt me if they can't see me. Right. But I can't take care of the threat 
that can progress to be put me in more danger. So that's why, professionally speaking, I prioritize a flashlight over night sights. I'm kind of free enough in the industry to where I can afford both, you know, <laughs> but Oh, and I, if you've ever seen my carry gun, I don't have night sights on my carry gun. I have fiber optic front sight on my carry gun with a blacked out ledge rear sight. And that's based off of how I train and my application of which if I'm doing a lot of daytime range shooting, being able to see that front sight quicker where I can learn over time instinctively how to point that gun I've accomplished what I need to to be able to point my gun in the direction of a target or a threat you know lasers lasers are another thing well lasers are going to scare people so you know I don't need to learn how to shoot my gun I'm just going to scare them with a laser right. then buy a point that pointer. green laser downrange it'll be fine right. just, yeah just go just go to the gas station and buy that seven dollar green laser keychain and don't <laughs> buy a gun that's your philosophy it's kind of like yeah. the whole pack of shotguns Constant. And now we're getting into philosophies and, and, yeah. and thought. Yeah. But yeah. You know, it's like the shotgun. I'm going to get a pump shotgun because that sound is going to scare the bad guys. Well, if that's the case, then just get a radio with machine gun fire, screaming babies, you know, bombs going off. If you think audible sounds are going to right. scare a bad guy, that you well, you know, when I when I when I cock the shotgun, Van. We know that that scares criminals away, and that's all I have to worry about. I just, yeah. I just, I just cock the pump shotgun, and we're done. I don't even have to fire a shot. I don't have to worry about any of that. That's why you just need the you need the recording of just playing that audible. You don't actually need a firearm. That's but, right. You know, it's just play it. Just play it loud. Let's use that shotgun analogy. So I'm going to use that audible to scare somebody off. Well, what if that doesn't work? So I get in a potential confrontation with a shotgun in close quarters with a pump shotgun that I spent zero time at the range learning how to load, unload, and clear malfunction. Now that gun, because you bought it based off of this industry, you know, this this myth that, you know, sounds are going to scare bad guys, lasers are going to scare bad guys. Not that they can't, but I'm not betting my life on it. Absolutely not zero time training with it zero time practicing with it so now it's just a baseball bat with five rounds of slug or buckshot in the tube but you have a baseball bat because you don't know how to operate it because you never practiced with it but hey (laughs) the counter said hey all you got to do well actually i think it was joe biden said all you need is a double barrel shotgun right and you just shoot it in the air right Air kill kill your uh your neighbor that was on the upper floor in your apartment building yeah um so, you know, it's, you have to prioritize equipment when you're dealing with, you know, choices, if, if you have to make choices. So ARs are one of those where it, it, you can put gadgets on ARs for, for days. You know, a yeah. lot of these guys, these 15-inch rails, and when you talk 15-inch rails with four sides to a rail, you know, that's, that's 60 inches of rail space to add gadgets, vertical grips, angled floor grips, bipods, flashlights, lasers. Got a lot of space um, to add some gear, man. Throws, you know, backup iron sights, magnified optic, red dot. And now you're talking it's a 14-pound crew-served weapon that you've got zero training on. And crap is falling off because, one, the, the flashlight you got, the rail system doesn't 
attached properly. The batteries don't work because uh, the battery cap is crappy because you bought a you know seventeen dollar made in Taiwan piece of junk because it was it was a deal on Amazon. Um, your bipod collapses when you put it on the range, but you know it looks cool, you know, because yeah. it's got those metal claws. You gotta prioritize. If that gun is just for bench shooting. Go ahead, get a bipod. If that gun is, you know, is if it's a gun you shoot competitively, then get all those cool comps or get all those cool, you know, gadgets, barricade stops, and other things. If it enhances the application, and yeah. that's I think that, that where we bridge the gear. If you can add it, that will enhance the application of such, you know, firearm like a handgun or, or rifle or shotgun. If it enhances the application based off. The end state, home defense, personal carry, competition shooting, target shooting, whatever. Yeah, we we default to the whole defensive kind of mindset because I think that's kind of where all most of our heads are. You know, we wouldn't be conversations if we were, you know, you know, five yard bullseye shooters. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you know, I I can't see twenty five yards anymore. So, um, (laughs) but 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 I think you make I I think you make more good points right first of all gear does not preclude training and even when you do get gear when you get gear that's going to fix all of your shooting issues and otherwise training is still what gets you through right because you just can't slap and glue those things onto your weapon systems and it work out for you you still need to train and get familiar with them and become proficient at them for them to work for you in the situations that you're planning for. Yeah, you you hit it right there when you said familiarization and and you know the application of familiarization. You got to be familiar with the stuff. Like it's a selector switch on an AR. Um, you know, going from a Glock to a 1911 or a Glock to something with a mechanical safety. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people on mechanical safeties on farms because they don't trust themselves with a gun without a safety. Well, then you don't need a gun. Um, right. If you don't practice with the safety under high stress situations, you're not going to disengage a safety. Right. So on AR, you can get these cool things or, you know, short throw lever safeties for an AR. Does that make me go from safe to fire quicker? No, it is m- milliseconds at best between the distance from safe to fire as I present the firearm. You know, again, that's yeah. that's training and practice on how you transition a safety from safe to fire as you present a firearm. You don't do it once the gun is up. You do it as you are moving the gun up. It takes longer to move the gun up. But what does that short throw lever, for example, do for you? Well, it makes it a heck of a lot easier to go from fire to back to safe because you don't have to break the fighting grip. So that kind of piece of equipment will actually make things smoother in transition based off of its application. Because, you know, I don't, I would never leave my AR on, you know, what, what was that, Black Hawk down? Where's your safety there, Sarge? This is my safety. My finger, right. Just the finger. finger. Okay. Yep. Yeah, okay, I, I get that, but not when you don't have control of the, the firearms control, the pistol grip in which is right next to the trigger. If you don't have control of that system, then that gun needs to be on safe or the weapon needs to be in a safe configuration like a handgun in a holster. You know, it's kind of like these guys with Glocks. They just stuff them down their pants with no holster. Right. Well, you know, 
enjoy the trip to the emergency room because uh, you know you're going to have an accident eventually. Yeah, eventually um, it's coming. Right. You know, and it's so. Let's talk about ARs. You know, well, optics. Optics are one of those where it's almost it's more overwhelming than what night sights do I stick on my handgun? Yeah. Is it what's a what's the advantage of a red dot over iron sights? Well, I don't have to focus on my look through the rear sight, do the mechanical visual equation of rear sight, front sight, target. I can just focus on the target using my dot essentially superimposed on the target. Now that visual equation is gone. So will that make you faster on target? Yes, because you're not doing as much math. It's not two plus two plus two equals six. It's now six equals six. You, you know, you don't yeah. have a big equation there. So that will, the shorter your brain has to think and visualize things and process, things get faster. That's the goal. Get faster and get more accurate. It's, if what I'm either doing, either in training or practice, or equipment in which I add to my my primary, you know, firearm, handgun, rifle, shotgun, whatever. If that does not make me better, and I'm not saying out of the box make you better, you got to put in the time. Yeah. I've had guys. The time, the practice, the training. Handguns. Right. Guys that get red dots on handguns, and I gave it up too um, because I, ref- I didn't put in the time. The visual equation of presentation I'm not seeing what I normally would see as I present the firearm. So if I'm not normally indexing the firearm the same way with a red dot, then it's not going to make me faster. So I have to put in the time to relearn that because the sight height might be different. Yeah. You know, the, the optic may be a little higher. So is it red dot versus magnified? Well, what's the application? If your application is inside your home, you know, or inside a 25 yard range, I would probably willing to bet that your money is better spent on a red dot versus a magnified optic. If you're looking to push it out a little bit further with the option of inside the home, then pick a low power variable power optic, like a one to six, one to eight, one to five or something. If it's at 300 yards and then pressure buddies, you can shoot golf balls at 300 yards. Then you're going to need a higher magnification optic for your rifle. So again, it's application, and then you just prioritize. It's even in those subclasses of optics, it's overwhelming. Is it the fifty-dollar NC Star optic, or is it the thirteen-hundred-dollar Trigicon? Uh, you know, is there a difference between the two? Yeah, twelve hundred fifty bucks, but you're talking a whole lot more features with a better quality optic. You know. Do I spend 50 bucks on an optic now or put a little bit more money in the software and get the $200 red dot that's going to last me longer, has a better warranty, has actually been used on a real firearm, not just an airsoft gun on Amazon? Right. Do I put my money there, but I may not be able to get that right now? Or my application evolves from in the home to the range, indoor range, to an outdoor range. There, there are other transitions that you can make there. You know, I've yeah. bins of optics too that eventually have built so many guns that I've got extra this and extra that, and I've tried this and I've tried that. But I've only changed stuff based off of my training and background and the things I practice on. I didn't just slap it on a gun, give it one shot at the range, and go, oh, I don't like this. I'm going back to the old style. No, you got to put the time in too. You got. But you also need a 
a point in which you can measure. You know, if, yeah. if it's me faster, more accurate, that's a good thing. But where you may gain things, you may lose in other aspects, like a variable power. People have a hard time with those in close quarter situations because of the tunnel vision you can get with a magnified optic on a rifle. So that may be a an experience as to, hey, I went to this guy and he showed me the technique on how to use a variable power optic without getting that tunnel vision, looking through the toilet roll tube kind of thing, or there'd be a paper towel tube. He showed me a technique. Well, crap, you know, I, the only reason I found that out is I actually went through a training class, not because I just went to the, you know, just threw it on my rifle, looked at it right. and stuck back in my safe. I actually got some time on it yeah. and got feedback on somebody that was way more experienced than me as to a better way to see things or apply things so it made that piece of equipment enhance my shooting capability even more so without training yeah and it's a constant loop it's a you know you know the observe orient decide and act the oodle loop it's constant it's the same thing with training practice and equipment you know you can have training then you practice then you add equipment then you've got to go back through that loop again and you've got to loop all the way around again it's full circle it's You've got to get training. Um, who's that? Uh, who's the guy from? Um, uh, uh, oh, crazy little short guy. He kind of pioneered the the <laughs> Glock. Yeah. Um, uh, I can't remember his name, but uh, Gabe. Um, so Gabe has techniques to to teach people application of a red dot. If you if you go to some you know NRA instructor that's been an NRA instructor since the 1950s. You know, and, you know, he's teaching a class and he still carries a wheel gun. He's probably not the guy you're going to want to go see to learn how to use an RMR or red dot sight on your handgun. Because what does he know? You know, what does he bring to the table to make you better? Like, I'm not going to go train under a white belt in jujitsu because he doesn't know as much as I already know. So when you take your training and, and you go that full circle back from the equipment, and now learning on that equipment and YouTube, again, good information there sometimes, under the tutelage of somebody to give you feedback to answer those questions. Now get on Facebook. You, you ask a question, well, hey, I bought a Holosun optic for my rifle. Oh, what'd you buy that piece of crap for? Then everybody starts the memes and the, the, the making fun of me because I didn't get a, a, an aim point because, you know, that's what the military uses for. Well, that's great, guys. But you know what? I can't afford an aim point. T2. I don't have $700 to pay for that. I want information on what I currently have. Can you help me? Yeah. Some There's always an opinion me. on current equipment for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, for me, the takeaways are that training uh, precludes gear. And then the second point of that is that training wins again, because even with gear, even when you opt for gear, there's an opportunity to train and and learn that gear, right? Because otherwise you're not going to need it when the time comes if if you're shooting and training for that scenario, right? There's plenty of folks that train and shoot for competition or just recreational. Hey, I hit a piece of paper. This is great. But if it comes down to, uh, dare I say, meaningful shooting, meaningful training, um, either way, the training overrules the gear is that a is that a safe it's, it's always 
the training and practice and, and the training, like it gets muddled with practice too. And if, if we want to blanket training under the tutelage of somebody else or training, just getting out there and getting trigger time, sure. kind of training, trigger dry time. practice, yep. whatever you want to call it, you know, it, yep. it will just fall back to that. Cause no matter how good the equipment is, the equipment is only as good as you are in the application or the usage of that equipment. It doesn't matter how, you know, we've had, you know, back in the day where we had PBS seven Bravos or PBS, you know, just old crappy starlight scopes on our M16s, you know, to, you know, the new $20,000 set of night vision now that they got, you know, do you still have, you still have to train on, it's a better piece of equipment. It may not be as complicated training. It may simplify your training. It may, simplify your practice you know extended mag re- magazine release but you know you put an extended mag re- magazine release on your handgun you put it in your holster and you realize your holster is not fitted for that extended mag release <laughs> right. and then you just um, your magazine falls out and every time you reholster oh damn if i didn't practice on the range i would have never have known that in the first place yep. until something bad happens you so, had a cool piece of equipment that ultimately failed on you and practical application. Right. And it, it, like you've said, it it all falls back to training. That is the, that is the foundation. No matter how big your foundation is, no matter how much you add to the house, you got to have a solid foundation. You can't just hang stuff off of the roof and expect it to work. Right. So it will always fall back to training practice, no matter how equipment is familiarization and being comfortable with it. Because if you're not familiar with it, you're not comfortable with it. You're never going to be able to apply that stuff under, under stressful conditions when your brain doesn't operate the way it normally does when you go inside the shooting range and practice for your 30, 40 minutes. There's yep. a lot more things going on. So it, it falls into the, you know, the repetitive application of, of that equipment that you have. And this is why I'm a, always been a big proponent. You know this. You know, these guys that come out when we used to shoot steel competitions at the range, you know, they'd bring out their race guns or they'd run through one of my training classes and they'd bring their race gun, the fun gun that they can shoot. I'm like, hey, where's your carry gun? Well, that's in my bag. So why aren't you shooting it? Well, because it's a fun class and I want – so you're going to practice with a gun again and again and again and again and again, but it's not the gun you're going to use in a high-stress situation is what you're telling me. Yes, I said – you're an idiot. Go back to your range bag. Grab the gun. You're going to actually go use. to yeah. when the poo hits the fan yeah. and use that gun. Because in any application, any environment that you can expose yourself to, to apply that system, that firearm, whatever, in those types of situations, that's when you get ahead of the game. You know, and you don't have that defamiliarization. You're not retraining. Yeah. Having 27 guns is cool, yeah. but I would much rather be proficient with one of one. those, yep. be okay with 27, yep. you know? Absolutely. So I've got guns that I have fun with, whatever, but you're darn tooting that gun that's laying next to my bed. <laughs> I can tax with. All day long. And, yeah. So, it, and yep. it's, it's not the sexiest gun. It's not the prettiest gun. It's, you know, it doesn't have all the cool gadgets on it, but I don't need all the cool gadgets because I know how to shoot it. Yep. Yep. The one you know the best, the one that you can operate the best, and the one that works the best. 
So yeah, as we're wrapping up here, it's become painfully apparent for me as if I didn't already know that training really precludes gear in the overall scheme of things. And even when you have gear, you need to be training with that and be proficient with it if you're going to have it. Otherwise, it's just for talking points and profi- you know, for uh, points of uh, discussion and, and um, bragging rights as far as what gear you have on your equipment. But We've talked a lot about gear. We've talked a lot about training and the importance of training with or without gear. So just to put you on the spot again, here wrapping things up, as far as my pistol goes or my AR goes, my rifle, whatever, what what's what's a good piece of gear that I should be concerned with or that I I I need to be investing in? And then as far as training goes, where can I go for good training? I mean, I, I want to get trained. You've convinced me. Where should I go? Okay. So with regards to gear, you know, primary, you know, let's, let's say handgun right now. Um, if I took all my handguns of all the different options that I have out there, I think the one common piece of equipment gear that I've changed or added to that particular firearm, I think across the board is honestly, I think it's it's sights and it's consistency. It's things that I have to visualize. You know, I, I yeah, I know in the beginning I talked about flashlights. That is a, a primary piece of gear for a handgun, but a flashlight to me is also like a knife. Um, it, it it's in itself a separate piece of equipment that doesn't necessarily relate to the handgun, like that EDC kind of thought process of I carry a knife, I carry a gun, and I carry a flashlight. So the flashlight is absolutely, yes, it's important, but I think it's important beyond just the handgun. So if I'm talking about something attached to augmenting a handgun for everything, be it personal defense, home defense, uh, target shooting, competitive shooting, across the board, I would say sights, because I'm very finicky about the visual equation in which my brain has to process. With regards to a rifle, I'm going to fall to the exact same thing. It's that visual equation. I like consistency from gun to gun. You know, the the way the stock feels, the way the grip feels, the way the trigger feels. But without all that, and as I get older, sights, the optic will always be a primary uh, piece of equipment that I will do first and foremost. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a red dot. It's just how you can how you visually line up the, the the firearm to the target it's that visual be it magnified red dot or 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 backup iron sights or, or fixed iron sights you know i always default to a red dot in my opinion because it's consistent it's consistent for the ranges in which i find myself and it's been ultra reliable for me over the years even without spending you know, the, the prices of aim points and some of these other high dollar optics. And, and you could say almost the same thing for a shotgun or any, any other firearm is that visual equation. If you, if you can't work that visual equation, you can't see the front sight, you can't line them up, um, whatever, you're not going to be able to hit anything. Um, you're right. You, you can have a crappy trigger on a gun. Um, but if you can't line the sights up, it doesn't matter how good you can pull the trigger if you cannot visualize that equation, you have to do it quick too. You know, in under stressful situations, 
we've done that in training and practice and so on is that that speed of acquisition of targets uh lining your sights up getting on target so iron sights for you know the the handgun i think it it doesn't trump a flashlight because to me a flashlight is a separate piece of equipment but you know that going on a handgun and then i would say the optic on a uh, on a carbine and sights on a shotgun whatever whatever that might be uh r- regards to training um there's a lot of places to train. There's a lot of good places to train. There's a lot of bad places to train. Um, a good friend of mine, um, uh, Colonel Steve Shy, he's a he's a Fourth Recon Marine as well. He has a Semper Fi gun training up in uh, Alto Lula, Georgia area. Uh, awesome. He does everything. Um, great, great guy. He's, he's a veteran. He's just he's spot on. He's done a lot of training. This is not a, this is a guy that you're talking 30 years in the military, Fourth Recon Marine. You think he's, you know, he's going to, hey, he's checked the block. He's done it, you know, everything in the military. But the guy goes to training classes more than I have ever done uh, since I've been a civilian. Um, him and a close friend of mine, uh, Harold Lanier as well. So he's one of his instructors. And Harold used to uh, work with me uh, when I owned my training company. Um, I still do some private instruction. I've kind of fallen off of that because, you know, you get spread too thin and, you know, personal lives go down. So, um yeah, I had to prioritize. So that's when my training company kind of um, put that on the back burner. But uh, I would say simplify gun training for local companies that I know and I would trust uh, with people. Um, there are great places uh, out of state. Frank Proctor comes to mind. Um, Frank is a, another phenomenal instructor. He's a former SF guy, uh, teaches a lot of military guys. I've been a Bill Rogers. That's a great training course. Uh, Bill is not cheap by any means. He's probably one of the <laughs> most expensive training in this area. Yeah. Um, LJ, uh, great class. So great instruction. He's got some good uh, instructors under him now. Uh, I went there in 2001 and, uh, it was, uh, it was Bill and, uh, a couple of his Andy and another guy that was training there. But I think, uh, Bill's, uh, kind of, I don't know how much he teaches there anymore, but there's a lot of, a lot of good guys local, um, look at reviews, um, you know, get, get some feedback. Don't look at just postings that they put these training companies post on their website because they're going to, yeah. they're going to pick the, the greatest, uh, user feedback that they can find. They're not gonna- <laughs> right. We're all five stars. Cause that's what yeah. we filtered through. Yeah. I, I went through the Glock instructor first down in Smyrna, you know, it was, it was a good, I think it was four or five days. It was, it was, it was trigger time for me. And it was one of those courses where I think for the, for the average person, it was very good course. I think for an instructor level with my background, it fell kind of short on, but that's not what the focus of that class was. And some of these classes you got to look at that some of these classes are going to either be advanced beyond your skill set. Yeah. Don't lie to yourself because you've been standing next to the guys like I have that I've taught as well that think they're coming to the table with a, a, a pretty solid foundation. They leave my class uh, satisfied, but they humbled. Let's just that yeah, way that they, sure. they found out that they, they weren't as good as they thought they were. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's exposure to different things. It's not yeah. standing static in a, in a, in a shooting stall, shooting at five yards at right. a man's target at five yards. Well, you know, when my daughter was sick, she could do that with her left hand upside down, <laughs> right. a man's yeah. target at seven yards. So, um, look at the course curriculum too. So you can't just 
look at the instructor. Like, you know, one of my, the unicorns that I want to go see, I want to go see, um, uh, Pat McNamara, like most phenomenal, you know, I, I don't think I'm in physical shape for his class. Cause he is just, a. a He's a beast. Yeah. He's a stud, no doubt. Yeah, information. But look at his stuff. He also is core foundation basic on mastering. And we talked about training, but yeah. mastering the basics. Yeah. Being so good at the basics, basics. that it whips the blood of all these guys doing cool guy stuff. Yeah. You know, that, yeah, that, that looks neat and all, but dude, you, you can't master a basic reload. Then what are you diving out the side of a vehicle doing this combat roll into the <laughs> tumble, uh, right? The, the crane shooting stance or something. So, uh, so a lot of good training in the area, but uh, ch- check get get some feedback. And if you can, you know, want to ask around if you if you're in that community where you have friends that have gone to training classes. Some people will have good feedback. Some people will kind of be, eh, it wasn't as good as you know, they claimed I had somebody go see an instructor that I went and saw and they were like, yeah, it was okay. But at the level that they were at, I think that they expected more. So their expectations were kind of let down, but it's a good course. So expectations were a lot higher. Yeah. So there's a lot of courses out there, right? And there's a lot of folks that I admire as trainers and that I'm sure have a lot of capability, but you know, in the circles that I run and we've talked about this before, right? Oh, why don't you train them? Blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I want them to go and get real training. Right. And I want them to go and get the type of training that could help them move to the next level or help them, um, in defense of their life if need be. Right. And I don't know that I'm, I'm the right person for that. So, what advice or what type of training would you suggest for the the newbie looking for not just i ah, this is how you shoot a gun this is basic safety but here's taking you to kind of the next level beyond that like especially for home defense whatever what 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 should they look for what should they try to go for well so you- when it comes to personal defense, home defense, you have to prioritize like wh- what kind of situation in a home defense situation or, or at personal engagement, me walking out of the convenience store, where am I going to see myself? I'm going to see myself between you know zero and three to five yards, home defense, maybe a little bit more. But when you're talking home defense, it's angles of fire. You know, like I'm in a barricaded position there in my house. Even walking out of a convenience store, there's a car there. It's angles of fire. How can I situate myself between me and a bad guy? So a lot of the application for basic people with knowledge, um, you know, basic firearms knowledge, you got to get comfortable with the gun. You got to get comfortable in presentation of the gun. Yep. So classes you can focus on presentation, getting the gun out, getting the gun out on target. But my problem with that is I appendix carry. There's not a class or course that I can find that will allow appendix carry or purse carry nope. in a training class. So let's say you know, a friend of yours, she's got a purse. She carries a revolver and a purse. She's got no place to go train because nobody's teaching that because it's too dangerous on the square, you know, square range yeah. and in range. 
So then you have to start looking for private instruction to learn how to do these things. You know, the one-on-one instruction. When it comes to home defense and personal defense and the tactical portion, that is one of those to where, you know, does a range have the ability to shoot barricades? Do they have the ability to walk through a situation on how to barricade yourself in a room or in your house? So sometimes even that gets into private instruction because a lot of ranges don't have those types of uh, facilities. They have a shoot house. They don't have barricades. They don't have cars, you know, junk cars to be out there to shoot the windshields or out the side of the car. So you have to look at the situations you're going to find yourself and then start picking and choosing. You may end up going to a course that talks about 10 things and you only really needed three of those. But those other seven things, you're still getting trigger time. It's still okay. Trigger time is good. It's always good. And it's, you only get out what you put into it. Like the guys that gave me feedback on a course that I'd been through that I said it was a good course, they had higher expectations. I'm like, okay, well, how much did you put into that course that you got out of it? Like if, if you didn't put in to it as much, then you didn't get out of it as much as you thought because you failed to put in more. So it works both ways. Like yeah. as an instructor, if I got a student that's just not in it, and you've seen this in, I had a carbine class where it was hot as heck. <laughs> guys that looked like they're die because it was in August, yeah. you know, and you know they're showing up with all this cool guy kit, and that lasted about thirty-seven minutes because they realize how hard it is to have all that crap on, yeah. you know, when you're trying to learn. I'm not trying to teach you how to shoot with body armor on. I'm trying to teach you how to shoot from a barricade. You want to learn with body armor? Do that on your time, you know. Right. So, you know, it's. It's tough. It's a lot of information out there. It's overwhelming. And there's a lot of good books, too. A lot of we, we're Internet people. We want to download everything. We want to video everything, watch it online. There's a lot of really, really good books out there. Um, yeah, that but, that, can, but that's a great point, too, is that, you know, that's not gear. That's training. Right. So that counts yeah, towards absolutely. that, too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Van, this has been great. Uh, this is a lot of good information. There may even be enough information here to carry us over into another episode, potentially at some point in the future. But for now, I think the takeaways are is that training should become before gear. And even if you do uh, choose gear, that training with that gear is paramount. And I, I think you agree with me on that point. Absolutely. And I think we've made that clear over the course of this, this podcast. So I want to thank you again. Um, the information is invaluable and Van, I just want to say wholeheartedly, thank you for your service. Thank you for all you've done. Um, you're one of the types I look up to as a hero and I appreciate and, uh, think it's great that you've taken this opportunity to be with me on this uh, podcast this evening. Thanks, Jim. It's been a bit of an honor to be able to talk about things. You know, I'm passionate about all this stuff. So, yeah, it was a, it's been a great conversation. I think it's a lot of good information for people. And, and if, if it gets people thinking, that's that's what we want, you know? Absolutely. Don't follow the, don't get in the conga line and just follow the next person in front of you. So it gets people thinking and gets a conversation started. 
Yeah, someone I heard recently said, I can't teach you anything, but I can make you think and start thinking for yourselves. And so I think that's an important takeaway, too. Definitely. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jim. Hi, I'm Jim O'Brien, your host of the Self-Initiative Project podcast. If you think the information here is good or could be helpful to someone, feel free to tell your friends and family so they can have a listen to it. And we want to thank you for listening.